0: Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. Karen, you have been in the D E N I space for over a decade. Why do you think DEI is the center of conversation for industries across the board?
1: I believe companies are just beginning to realize that it's important uh, to their business success from a talent pool perspective. That applicants uh, looking to come to work for different companies are looking for companies that are doing great work and who are committed to DEI. I believe the economic empowerment companies are beginning to see. Um, with supplier diversity, right? And being able to impact even um, the space from that perspective.
0: And Melissa, same question for you.
2: If any company, organization, or business wants to be successful in today's society, you have to have a strong DE&I environment. So that's um, the people who you hire and the people who you serve. You have to be incredibly competent um, in this diverse society that we live in and create a welcoming environment for everyone who interacts with your organization.
0: Diversity, equity, and inclusion are three words that many brands and companies have been talking about a lot since the events of 2020. But DEI has been around for more than just a year. In this mini series, I will be talking to marketers and executives about the ways they are promoting DEI in their organization. My guests today on the CMO podcast DEI mini series are Karen Ashley, the Associate Vice President, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Providence Health Systems, and Melissa Tizon, VP National Communications also at Providence. Providence is a very large nonprofit healthcare network. 100,000 employees, they call them caregivers. 52 hospitals, 800 non acute healthcare facilities. Providence operates across seven states in the western U.S. Its roots are deep. It was founded in 1859 by the Sisters of Providence, and its mission has not changed much in 173 years. Karen joined Providence in August 2021, and Melissa has been there for nearly 10 years. This is my conversation about DEI at Providence and beyond with Melissa and Karen. Welcome, Karen and Melissa, to the CMO podcast and our mini-series on DEI. You are both in senior roles at Providence. I'd like to know how you both first met. Karen, why don't we start with you, and we'll see if Melissa's story lines up.
1: Sure. Thank you, Jim. and Thank you so much for having us. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. And I'm so looking forward to today's discussion. So I am a new caregiver at Providence. And um, it's interesting in this virtual work setting that we're in, uh, Melissa and I actually met virtually back in August uh, when I joined Providence. And so we've known each other for just right at four months and building a partnership And we're both going to be working towards moving Providence's DEI efforts forward.
0: So, Melissa, do you remember it the same way?
2: I remember it exactly the same way. Um, So at at Providence, we made diversity, equity, and inclusion an official priority as part of our strategic plan in, I think it was February of 2020. And um, so we've been eagerly awaiting leadership, and we've been trying to build a leadership structure to help. Support this effort. So when Karen got hired, we were just super excited, and she also started in the middle of a COVID surge. So all of our we have fifty-two hospitals, and they were all just um, just at the at the verge of you know capacity. So um, Karen started a, a kind of a busy time for our organization, but we were still incredibly happy when she arrived, and she's really provided a lot of leadership, and she's got some really great ideas that we're excited about.
0: So do you have plans to meet together in person physically at some point in the near future?
2: I definitely hope so, <laughs> and we, we can arrange that. We can, we can actually go into the office um, in small groups, so, so we'll yeah. I hope to do that soon.
0: So what kinds of things do you two work on together? Melissa, why don't we start with you?
2: I'll just bring up one thing, but there, there are many things that we have on the agenda. Um, but one of them is that we're working on um, what we, we're calling a caregiver value. So at Providence, we're a healthcare system and we call all of our employees caregivers, whether they work at the bedside and deliver patient care or not. We believe everybody ultimately is supporting the work of patients. So, so that's why we call ourselves caregivers. Um, and we're working on what we're calling a caregiver value proposition to really define what it means, um, what the experience is for caregivers, what it means to work at Providence. So part of that has to do with um, just really like defining our statement around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so that's one of the kind of initial things that Karen and I like met about and talked about. And so as she goes out and does a listening tour and really like understands caregivers, we'll start to evolve that statement. But we really feel like we need to have a strong statement, you know, in this in this environment, we have such a work, workforce shortage of healthcare workers that we really need to make sure that we're being inclusive and reaching out to all, you know, every everyone um, in our communities to help support our work.
0: I love that you call everyone caregivers, even if they're not in a primary care role. I just think that's beautiful. Do you talk about that in your... You know, in your team meetings, in your performance discussions, in your career planning. So tell me a little bit about how caregiver comes to life in your culture. And Karen, why don't I start with you? I know, Melissa, you've been there a lot longer, but Karen, you're relatively new. You're seeing this with fresh eyes. So this concept of caregiver as everyone's title, I love it. Tell us more about it
1: yeah I will tell you I love it as well jim it's it's different from for me, you know, being accustomed to referring to employees as employees and all the previous organizations in which I've worked. But there's something about the word caregiver that just gives your work um even all the more meaning. Um, there's just this innate innate feeling that oh my goodness, you know, I'm not just an employee. I'm actually taking care of people. As Melissa said, whether I'm at the bedside, whether I'm sitting at a desk, whether I'm sitting behind a computer, right in virtual meetings at the end of the day, my role, I'm responsible all 120,000 of us for taking care of people and giving that care to people. So but it just has a little bit of a different, different meaning than employee, if you will.
0: Melissa, how does it come to life within the culture in terms of, as I said, performance reviews, career planning, et cetera?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really become part of our culture, this, this word caregiver. And, you know, for managers... Um, we have that we don't call them managers; we call them core leaders. Um, so that's part of our vernacular. Um, we rolled out the term caregiver and core leader. I think it was like in 2014, and it was kind of a change for our organization. And we did get a little bit of pushback from physicians who didn't want to be called caregivers, but we really were strong in in the rollout, and and you know the vast majority of people really embrace the term because they, they understood. It just really fits with our, we're a very mission-driven organization. Um, we like to say that we sit at the intersection of innovation and compassion. And so caregiver really fits with that compassion part of the job. And it, and it helps us to like remember to stay focused on our mission, that what we're all about is it, Like no matter what you do in the organization, it's all about getting care to the patient and serving, serving the patient. Everything in our organization, there, you, you will almost never see the word employee anywhere. So even in, the, in our um, performance evaluations, all of that, it's, like our, it's all called caregiver um, performance and development conversations. You know, every, everything uses that word. It's very, very intrinsic in our organization.
0: What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. Well, we'll move from caregiving to our topic of the day, which is DEI, and of course, they are related. And I'd like to start with each of you sharing a story from your life on why these three words, diversity, equity, inclusion, are meaningful to you in your work and in your life. Melissa, let's start with you and then we'll move to Karen.
2: Yeah. um, So I'm the daughter of immigrants. My parents um, immigrated from the Philippines in the late 1960s. They were part of this wave of immigration from the Philippines of Filipino nurses and doctors. So when they moved here to give, you know, to pursue a profession and to give their children a better life, um, you know, they really wanted me to go into healthcare as well. But I was, a, I was a journalist. I knew as a, at a young age that I was a writer and a journalist by background. So I went to journalism school um, and did that for a little bit. But I realized I really wanted to be part of a, a not-for-profit um, organization, and so that's that that's when i got hired at a health system in seattle called swedish and and i started out there as a writer um but and just you know moved up in the organization so i've been doing healthcare communications for um you know more than 20 years at this point but it's just diversity equity and inclusion is so important to me just because um you know being filipino um Filipinos make up such a huge part of the healthcare workforce. Um, they really um, drive nursing, as an example, and physical therapy and environmental services. And um, and, it, and and so much of the healthcare workforce actually is just incredibly diverse. And so I just really want to make sure that, um, you know, I'm supporting... Making it easier for them to do their work, even if they might not speak English as a first language, um, but just respecting the diversity and also respecting the fact that they reflect the communities that we serve because our communities, um, they, you know, are incredibly diverse and and that's that's really important to us. So that's why diversity, equity, and inclusion is so important to me.
0: Karen, I would like to hear your story. You've been involved in DEI and in many organizations for many years. So please tell us why these three words are so meaningful to you and you've committed so much of your life to that.
1: Sure. So I will tell you, you know, growing up in San Antonio with a large Hispanic population um, and then also with military parents, you know, there there was always this exposure uh, to people who didn't look like me. Uh, and always just growing up in a family where everyone was welcome. And, uh, you know, I, my mom's house, our our house was the Sunday fellowship place, right? For for football, it was Dallas Cowboys and, you know, whomever they were playing. And, uh, you know, so I just grew up in this environment where I was accustomed to having different people um, around me. So as I got older, and began to see that um, the outside world doesn't really work or operate like my family did, right? And the things that I, I experienced growing up, those were not the same things that people who, you know, didn't look like me and then those who looked like me didn't didn't really experience it. So, you know, it, it became important for me just seeing the beauty of what it could be, what the potential could be, of all different types of people coming together um, and loving on each other, supporting each other, encouraging each other, what really that could look like. And so as I moved into the business world, it just felt like a natural fit for me to be involved in this work, to lead this work. And I'll tell you, you know, when I moved to Atlanta, And I share this story with people all the time, right? Having grown up in San Antonio with a large Hispanic population, I did not see that many people who looked like me, that many Black people. But moving to Atlanta, oh my goodness, it almost, that was the encouragement that I needed and confidence that I needed to really begin to thrive in this work. So living in Atlanta showed me the possibilities you know, to see Black people um, owning their own businesses, to see Black people in senior leadership roles, to see Black people leading cities, serving as mayors and city council members as judges. I needed to see that um, for my own edification, like I said, in confidence. And so, you know, the 17 years spent in Atlanta, it really solidified for me. This is the work that I should be doing. Um, and then of course, always comes okay, but you can't stay here and do it just here, right? Uh the calling it was to Ohio next. And oh my goodness, that was like night and day from moving from Atlanta, Georgia to Columbus, Ohio, but still the roots right were there. The the values were there, the base was there, everything that I needed. Uh, to really begin to do this work, uh, regardless of the organization, regardless of the geographic territory was there. And I think that came from, you know, just growing up, from growing up and all that I saw and what was instilled in me as a child.
0: You both talked about family and early experiences. I think that's so fundamental. My mother passed away not long ago and at her service, so many people stood up and said, the kitchen door was always open. There was always a seat at the table. The table was round 24-7. If you needed a cookie, a glass of milk, a snack, or a conversation, the door was always open. And that's the most beautiful thing anyone, I think, can say about anyone's life. Indeed. So t- tell me a bit about where you are focusing right now of all the opportunities we have so Melissa, let's start with you and then go to Karen. So if I stepped into your organization and talked to half a dozen people, what would they tell me the focus is?
2: Yeah, well, so in February of 2020, um, I, as I mentioned, we established our social responsibility platform and um, and the first priority in that platform was DEI and the second one is climate. So really for an in terms of social responsibility and social justice, those were our most important things. And so, this was right before the pandemic is when we established our senior leadership established that as um, our priorities. And then a few months later, um, there was the death of George Floyd, and I think that just shook everybody to their core. Um, and it really mobilized us even further as an organization, even though we had already established it as a priority. And then another thing that we did is we committed $50 million over five years to health equity to make sure that um, people, you know, everybody has the same chance at having a healthy life. So we've been really, we have a team that's working on that across our organization. And it's just been really remarkable to see the kind of work that they're doing. Um, They've engaged Community workers, so um, people who are part of these diverse communities, and um, put them through training and education, so that they can be liaisons in the community to help connect um, people who are in communities that may not have as much connection to the healthcare system to us. So, like, just you know, just building that trust and building those relationships, and it's just been really incredible to see the kind of work that's being done um, through programs like that.
0: Karen, uh, you, you've been at the company a few months, and, and DE&I and was part of the strategic plan, which Melissa just talked about, uh, and this was put into the plan about a year and a half ago. So Karen, tell me, what, what bearing did that have on you to take this job, and where are you focusing in your first few months as the Associate VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion? Mm-hmm.
1: Sure. So uh, going through the selection process, I um, participated, oh, my goodness, in probably six or seven interviews. So um, I by the sixth interview, the final interview, I was convinced that Providence was committed to the work of diversity, equity and inclusion. You know, hands down that that was not a question for me. Um, And as I step into this role and as I've done with other companies, uh, and I shared this during my interview, is that it's important for me to come in um, and to listen, to assess and to listen. So as Melissa mentioned a little bit earlier at the top of our conversation, in January, I am launching a system-wide DEI listening tour. I will be on the road for a few months and plan to you know, visit each one of our regions. I'm going to cover our entire footprint, and I'm going to have conversations with core leaders and individual contributors and our CRG uh, Caregiver Resource Group members about the state of diversity, equity, and inclusion from their perspective. And I'm gonna use this feedback, Jim, to further build out our multi-year DEI strategy That will bring all of the work that's being done at the regions and in our lines of business together uh, so that we can ensure we have a North Star and that we are all moving in the same direction. Of course, leaving room and flexibility for the regions to still do the work that needs to be done, you know, to meet the needs of their particular work environments. But at the same time, getting us all on the same page. And so I think it's important, you know, as I've learned doing this work um, over the years that the strategy should represent the voices of, in our case, our caregivers. So we want to make sure that we are doing the work that our caregivers feel that we should do. Um and then to be quite honest, the listening tour gives them some skin in the game because they have a voice that will be represented um in the strategy. So that is going to be my initial focus is getting out, listening, talking with our caregivers and just getting from them where they think we are and what they think we should be doing.
0: Karen, that's terrific. I'd like you to re- reflect a bit on the interviews you spoke about as you were deciding to join Providence, what were the signals that you saw that said, this is an organization that's taking this seriously and is committed and one I want to join?
1: Sure. You know, so it, it's amazing that even in this virtual setting, there was a connection. There was a connection um, with everyone um, who I interviewed with, to be quite frank. Um, there was a genuineness In every interview, um, you could tell that there was sincerity uh, about the caregivers um, at Providence, and also there was this how 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 can I say it? There was this vulnerability um, about this work of diversity, equity, and inclusion. There was honesty you know, in terms of where Providence is, the great work that's been done and the work that um, everyone who I interviewed with said needs to continue. Um, and I appreciated that, that there was not this, you know, we, we, we're perfect. We've got everything right. Um, there, there were some, we need, we need some help. That There was actual, we need some help. We recognize it um, and that's why we want to make sure that we're going to get this position filled. So I, I could appreciate that. I could appreciate that.
0: Melissa, well, I want to turn to you. You've been at the company about 10 years and you've been a communications leader at this remarkable company for a long time. How is the voice of Providence today on DE&I different from what it was 10 years ago when you joined? And why is it different?
2: I believe that we are very vocal on this issue. And that, that wasn't always the case because, um, you know, we we take public stands on things, which we didn't before, but I think it was in in about 2017 when we really started feeling the need to speak out. It happened with um, if you remember the demonstrations in Charlottesville. Of course. Where there was like this element of white supremacy at those demonstrations. And our CEO just really, at that time, really felt the need to speak out on that. And so he put out a really personal message about what it meant for him. Um, he is, his father is Jewish and his father's entire family, um, was sent to Auschwitz and his, his father was the only person who survived. Um, and he just really felt the need to speak out on that. And, um, and it was at a time when like healthcare organizations didn't really feel the need to speak out on things like that, but it really is part of our values. Um, So we've just, so we have been vocal on things, but it, and it's not political for us. It really is. You mentioned what our values are and any, anytime something that's, that's, it is not it just, um, we'll, you know, we, we just feel the need to speak out on it. Like, um, Things that are happening at the border now and even a few years ago, um, you know, our pediatricians were really concerned about that, what that means for the health of those children. Um, and so we've just, we've just been very vocal about it. And so I, 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 I hope that answers your question, but it's just been, it's not that the voice has changed. It's just that we've made our voice louder because we feel like we have to speak up on the, for the needs of those who are vulnerable, people who don't have a voice.
0: And I think your sisters who started this organization in 1859 would agree with that. Yeah. Karen, before coming to Providence, you've had deep experience in leading DEI in heavy infrastructure companies, Georgia Power, Ashland Energy, San Antonio Water System. What did you learn in those experiences that you have brought to Providence?
1: One of the things uh, that I've learned, and it's it's so important, is that in doing this work, um, you have to meet companies where they are. You know, um, personally, there's such passion, right, about wanting to move this work forward and wanting to see change overnight. The reality is that it doesn't work like that, doesn't work like that. And so I've learned, you know, over the course of my career, the importance of stepping into organizations, learning the culture, right? Building the relationships, learning the history of the company, um, getting familiar with how comfortable the leaders are with leading this work. You know, I'm a firm believer, Jim, that so goes the leadership. So goes the fill in the blank, the family, the church, you know, the company, the department, the team. And so, you know, I, I've learned through experience, right, through bumps and bruises, if you will, through bumps and bruises, that I can't take a company too fast. Um, it doesn't work. Um, I can't take the company too slow, right? That's not the, the answer either. So it's finding the right balance. It's finding the right pace. It's finding what the organization uh, will respond to and really where the organization is um, at any given time um, and knowing when to push, knowing when to step back. Um, And so that's what makes this work so fascinating. Um, but I, I would say that's probably one of the biggest things that I've learned. Um, and then, you know, also is understanding that companies are where they are, right? Companies are where they are. You know, we'd love to think that companies would be, be beyond where they are today. Again, as, as I said earlier, that this role, this work would not even be needed, you know, in 2021 but that's not the case. So accepting accepting that this is where we are and bring the skill sets, the leadership, the leadership experience needed to do this work um is what it's is what it's all about. Um also I would say this what I've learned um in working in so many companies um is that you have to accept people for who they are and all that they bring to the table. Um we would think that even now, in this day and time, that people would be further along and maybe some of their thinking about DE&I, but that's not always the case. And to be able to say in leading this work, it's okay, Karen, it's okay. People are where they are. Accept that. Um, do all that you can to help bring them along. And if you can't, it's all right. Just keep moving. Keep moving. Don't judge people, right? Um, don't even necessarily try to change people. Just do the work. Just do the work and know that um, people will, will come along and things will, will come along. So, you know, I, that's been, those have been some hard lessons for me. Those have been some hard lessons for me. But I think that's a lot of what this work is all about, accepting people for who they are um, and understanding that you just have to meet organizations where they are.
2: This is the reason why we were so excited when Karen came along, because just because she understands that not everybody is in the same place when it comes to d and and i we have a, a caregiver population of one hundred and twenty thousand people. So that's like, so we, you know, we can't, you can't expect everybody to be like super advanced in their thinking about DEI. Some, some people don't really understand why this is a priority. And so, so we're, we're, we're seeing that there's just a range of where people are. And we're trying, like Karen said, we're trying to bring people along, accept them without judgment, but really help people see that how this is lined up with our values and why it's a business imperative and, you know, and how we should be treating each other. So it's just such an important part of the work.
0: When I have you two back on next year at this time, or maybe two years from this time, what are the signals both qualitative and quantitative that you're making progress? Melissa first, and then Karen.
2: Quantitative. I think the number of people that we've served from diverse communities will be a really big indicator. I think, you know, since we started this work, um, our health equity group has served a half a million individuals. So I anticipate by this time next year, it'll be at least double that amount. Um, So I think that'll be a really key indicator. And Karen, I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts as well. Sure. Yeah. So I I
1: would say definitely um, as we begin to see um, our representation um, in leadership begin to evolve. um, And as we begin to see uh, the pipeline of talent, uh, diverse talent begin to further increase, um, I think that those will be some key measures for us uh, of success. You know, as we uh, even begin to hear more and more leaders talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the work that we are doing. That is a huge measure of success. Uh, so many times in organizations, leaders don't feel comfortable having conversations about DeI. And again, back to you know my my belief, so goes the leadership, so goes the company. One of the things that I want to make sure that we do is that we focus in on our leadership and giving our leadership the tools that they need to be able to lead uh, diverse teams, and so that will be a measure of success. As we begin to see more and more leaders um, stepping up and and you know taking on the courageous leadership. That is needed uh, to do this work. As we see more and more leaders step out of their comfort zones, um, leading in a different way, that is a another will be another huge measure of success for us. So those are some of the things, Jim, that I think you know. Next year and the year beyond, uh, as we come back, and maybe we even have a leader um, on to talk about his or her journey. Where they were uh, maybe today in 2021, and where they are 2022.
0: That's a great idea. Hey, what what companies or people or industries inspire you both on your journey on DEI?
1: I've worked for one, so um, if I tell you that I am so proud of the work that Southern Company has done and is doing right now. Um, oh my goodness it 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 is just tremendous um you know having been with Southern Company 10, 12 years ago and the work that we were doing at that time um and even be before even before I arrived at Southern Company, the great work that the d and i team was doing then e was not a part of the equation then right it was just diversity and inclusion
0: Karen, what industry is that?
1: That is the energy industry.
0: Okay, got it.
1: Southern Company really doubled down um, on developing their pipeline, right? On developing their pipeline, there were roles created um, to target high potential leadership amongst underrepresented talent, um, roles that would give um, high potentials exposure to executive leadership. Uh, rotation assignments. Um, And, you know, I will will give Southern Company credit for this as well. You know, um, they they pushed high potential talent um, in the sense that, you know, the messaging was we are here to support you. We will help develop you. But here are some of the things that you're going to have to do right? You're going to have to be open to getting experiences around the system. So it could mean that you spend time at Georgia Power. It could mean that you spend time in Alabama Power, that you spend time in Mississippi Power. Um, And today, if you look at the Southern Company website, you see, you know, just a diverse slate of talent. Um, you know, and I know some of the people who have moved into senior leadership roles and where they were. Um, you know the roles that they were in when I was there several years ago. So you know, uh, Southern Company. I just say, just really proud of the work that they're doing. You know, huge investment uh, that they made a couple of years ago um, in partnership with HBCUs. Um, I mean, a multi-million dollar investment. And so, you know, just, just the, the cutting edge leadership um, and things that they're doing, uh, I think is, is just tremendous. It's
0: a fabulous story. It's fabulous. Melissa, how about yourself? Inspiration.
2: Yeah, I don't know that I have one particular company um, in mind just because I feel like we're all on a journey towards this. But um, probably one that I've been paying attention to is um, Henry Ford, which is a health system in Detroit. and. Um, one of our former strategic officers went over there um, and is is a leader over there. So I've just been sort of paying attention to what they've been doing. Um, just they, you know, they have a very diverse pool and a, and a really strong commitment to it. So yeah, I'm just, I'm still trying to think of like anyone that stands out, but I do feel like we're all on a journey um, on this effort.
0: I want to close this out with a bit of advice from both of you. Um, if I dropped each of you, into a room of C-level executives from a diverse group of industries, and ask you to share with them one, two, three tips for them to advance DEI in their organizations. What would those tips be, Melissa? Let's start with you, and then go to Karen.
2: I think first it does start with just personal reflection, and just you know, um, really thinking about DEI for yourself, and trying to trying to understand you know, why it's important and where the gaps are. So I think there's that element of personal reflection. And then I think once you come to that as a leader, then you have to make it a priority within your organization, um, you know, actually putting it into your strategic plan. And thirdly, I guess, like, as part of that personal reflection is just really understanding it is a matter of justice, but it's also a business imperative. You can't function in, um, in in. Business or society today, without having a really strong inclusive environment, so I just think really understanding how it impacts the business side of things is also really important, and it could be a more of a like more of a driver for um, businesses. And even we're seeing like with bond investors and, and others, they're putting um, ESG as a pri- as a priority. They want to know what organizations are doing to address this. So. I think it's something that you can't not do in today's world.
0: An earlier guest on our DNI and i miniseries was Frank Cooper at BlackRock and he spoke exactly about that. You know, how their investment criteria has shifted because it is the right thing to do and it's the, it's the successful thing to do.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So Karen, last word to you. Advice in front of a group of C-level executives.
1: Sure. So uh, I would start with really doing some self-awareness and self-analysis to get a journal and spend time in that journal um, asking themselves questions such as, what is my diversity story? What do I really know about People who do or who do not look like me or who not had who have not had the same experiences with me? Um, what as me, as me. What are some of my fears about doing this work? Um, what are those things that I need to overcome to free myself to really be comfortable? in doing this work. So I I think a lot of it starts there. I mean, and it's just personal, one-on-one time, um, jotting down responses to those questions. The next thing is taking off the suit, taking off the tie, and going and having conversations with people, caregivers, uh, friends, neighbors, church members, whomever, um, who they've never had a conversation with before. To sit down and start having some conversations, to be open, to be vulnerable, to ask questions. And then I think, Jim, I would say, you know, the other thing that's so important for leaders um, at the C-suite level is to be comfortable holding each other accountable, holding each other accountable accountable. Uh, and to not be afraid to challenge in a safe way, of course. Um, but th- those things are important. And, and when, when you start laying that type of groundwork, um, you begin to see just the trickle down. You begin to see the trickle down throughout the organization of how this work can really be impactful.
0: Fabulous, fabulous last words. So both of you, you've been a huge inspiration for our listeners, for myself, thank you for what you're doing. And I would love to have you back on this show to talk about progress and to advance this conversation. And, and I just love so many of the ideas you shared today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank
2: you for having us, Jim. It was really fun.
1: Yes, Jim. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, we look forward to joining you next year and the year after.
0: That was my conversation with Karen and Melissa. Three takeaways from this wonderful conversation. First one is the importance of listening, the importance of a listening tour. Karen is just a few months in her new role at Providence, and she is spending several months beginning January visiting all of their locations, talking to their people to get ideas, get their buy-in, get their engagement in the diversity, equity, inclusion strategy at Providence. Second takeaway, the importance of language. Providence has 120,000 people working there, and they do not call them employees. They do not call them associates. They call them caregivers. Everyone, whether you work behind a computer, whether you work in a warehouse, whether you work as a nurse or doctor, you are a caregiver. Third takeaway if you're sitting on a leadership team, Karen had the best advice regarding DEI. First, keep a journal, internalize why this is important for you. What's your history? What are your fears? What do you need to overcome? Second, take off that suit and tie and get out there. Be among people. Get their ideas and engagement. And last, hold each other on your leadership team accountable, especially when it comes to a pipeline of high potential, diverse talent. To learn more about DEI, please visit the links in our show notes. Make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you like the show, tell a friend and remember to rate and review us wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast DEI and i miniseries is a Gallery Media Group original production in partnership with Deloitte Digital.